You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, we've almost reached another milestone. What's that? We're four follows away from having 500 followers on the gram. We're going to get another chip for that? We will get a virtual chip. Nice. If we uh now keep in mind actually it's not a chip. We don't we don't play with It's toys. a medallion. That's right. We don't play with plastic toys and trinkets. Trinkets. We, we only deal in medallions. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yep, we're almost there. Hey, uh, welcome if you're out there listening. Shank and Wayne here, Alcoholics Live. Good to be with you. We're excited about our uh, our guest today. Also, if you're out there listening and you're incarcerated, we, this episode is uh, is really for you. For you. Well, it's for anybody, but it's, it's for those that are incarcerated that are looking for a way out. Our... Uh, our guest today is uh, Dwight. Dwight, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? Doing excellent. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Dwight. I am an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety birthday is October the 30th in 2005. Um, it's good to be here. I have a home group. It meets in Nashville, North Carolina. We meet on Tuesday nights. From 7 to 8 p.m., uh, we are a big book study group. Uh, we study the traditions each month, and we have an open speaker meeting the last Tuesday of the month. So if you're ever in the Nash, wherever, come check us out at a vision for you. We will do that. And I have a sponsor, and I also sponsor God. So I guess that's all, right. all my formalities. Nice. <clears throat> Tell us a little bit how you got AA. Which time? Well, the, the just what what led up right there at the end for you to 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 join the fellowship for the last time. Man, I mean, you know, without going into all the gory details, man, in uh, 2005, I had gotten to a place. Uh, I guess a lot of us call it that jumping off point uh, in our lives and our drinking career where. Uh, I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of drinking, and I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of not drinking. Uh, suicide was a daily thought. Um, and probably somewhere around August of 2005, I made a decision to take my own life, and that was interjected by my nephew. And uh, then I made another decision to uh Call the sheriff's department and tell them I was about to commit suicide. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but if you do, <laughs> they come and they come real quick. Uh, you actually called did, them. I actually called them. I did. I called 911 and said, if you don't get somebody here quick, I'm going to kill myself. Nice. And uh, they came and they came quick. And um, I knew most of them. I went to high school with a lot of them and hung out with a lot of them growing up. And uh, one of them asked me, he's like, you going to give us any trouble? 
And uh, I was like, nah. And he says, man, what are you doing? And I, I looked at him and um, I said, I do not know. And that was probably the first time in 14 years I've been completely honest with anybody. And um, I love to say that's what got me here, but that ain't. Uh, after that episode, I tried to quit drinking several times that year. Uh, followed the pastor around uh, Bible studies and all that for a couple of weeks. That wouldn't work. Um, <laughs> that never did uh, attempt to go to AA at that time. Uh, I went to AA for a brief moment when I was 17. I uh, got sentenced there by the judge uh, for DWIs. And I went to three of them and realized I could sign that sheet myself and never went back. <laughs> but in 2005, man, um, I, the best idea that I could come up with on my own, man, was um, I had my seventh DWI, the date was pending in court. And uh, I had a probation violation. And I told my probation, my probation officer had violated me. And I don't know, man, I was just, I was like I said, I was at the jumping off point, man. I just, I didn't know what else to do. Uh, so I come up with this bright idea and I went to my public defender and I said, get me a plea bargain and run everything concurrent. And that the best idea I could come up with on my own was to send me to prison. And you know, that's been almost 18 years ago. And to this day, it still does not sound right when I say the best <laughs> idea I come up with was to send me to prison. Yeah. Uh, and once again, I don't know if you've ever done that, but if you tell them or ask them to send you to prison, they will oblige you really quickly. They will do it. They will do it. And they did. And I wound up in prison. Um and my, my last drink, man, was the weekend of October the 29th uh, of 2005. And I had a friend of mine that was having like his little party. And I knew I had court that next Tuesday. And I knew I was going to prison on Tuesday. So I planned it out. I had one last hoorah. And uh, that hoorah. Uh, made me stay in my mom's basement for the next two days ashamed of how I had acted over that weekend and the things that I had done and um, just the horror that I had put my mom through uh, to ha have to witness you know that type of weekend uh, I laid in bed all day October the 30th was the first day that I hadn't had a drink and who knows when and um, I just laid down there and basically white knuckled it until I got sent to prison. And uh, when I got to prison, I got sentenced to a uh, program they used to have called the DART program. It was a drug alcohol recovery treatment. And I got sentenced to it down in Burgall uh, on a prison camp. And it wasn't nothing I hadn't already heard. Uh, but for whatever reason, man, it started to make a little bit of sense while I was in there. I just got enough willingness to listen to uh, what you guys have been telling me, you know, for years. I went to that program and then it, after I got done with that program, it landed me on a uh, camp in Wayne County, Wayne Correction. And that's where the base of the dark camp was. And uh, <laughs> that was an interesting camp, uh, but it was a good camp for recovery. And it was a good camp 
you know, try to get sober on. And when I got there, uh, I remember it was a Wednesday night, man. And uh, for whatever reason, it just sticks out like, you know, uh, it was yesterday. I was laying on my bunk and I heard them call AA Medical Hallway. So I remember what they said in treatment. And, uh, you know, it's like, go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps. So I was like, well, I can't get a sponsor if I don't go to a meeting. So I went to this meeting and I uh, looked around the room. They had an outside volunteer that was there, uh, which I think is extremely important uh, for prison AA meetings is to have somebody on the outside with some substantial sobriety coming in. Didn't know all that at the time. I just thought it was some dude that got sentenced to community service or something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, It might have been both. Thought, it might have been both. But uh, we went, when I walked into that room, man, I, I seen, you know, the fellowship of AA. And I seen things I wasn't supposed to see. And I seen smiles on guys that didn't have release dates. And I seen Alcoholics Anonymous in person, in action. I mean, I seen it. And these guys was doing what the book said. I walked in, they stuck their hand out. And I was like, hey, man, how you doing, man? I'll go get you a cup of coffee. You know, grab your seat. You know, we're about to have a meet. And they was doing something you're not supposed to do in prison. And they was smiling. And they was happy. And uh, I was intrigued. And I later found out that the majority of the guys that's in this meeting are lifers. And the ones that ain't lifers have 15 plus years. Uh, and the only ones that had like little bitty time was me and a couple of other guys. And I, I was able to watch these guys put this program into action and practice these principles and, and just do the deal, you know, and, and they did exactly what they said to. And, you know, after the meeting, I asked the guy for a sponsor and, you know, he got me hooked up with a guy and then, that dude was had some things going on, and he told me, like, I can't sponsor, you know, at this time. And he got me hooked up with another guy that was willing to sponsor. And me and him went and met in his room, and we talked. And um, he told me his story. He told me to tell me – he told me to tell him my story, and that's what I did. And about halfway through it, he laughed at me. And that's what I thought he was doing at the time. And uh, kind of pissed me off. I said something slick to him a little bit. And he's like, just calm down. And uh, he turned around and he told me his story. And about halfway through it, I laughed at him. And that's when I knew he knew what what it felt like at 3 o'clock in the morning to want to kill yourself and not have the courage to do it. I, I knew he knew what it felt like to not want to live and not want to die to not want to drink but could not not drink and that took about two hours and that's when the magic from for alcoholics anonymous happened for me and uh you know that's that's what brought me to aa and and i got to see all this stuff take place where you're not supposed to see this stuff take place uh you know, and then he was doing what he was supposed to do. So, you know, the ones that's going to hear this that's incarcerated, you know, they know that, you know, if you got a felony, you get brown pants and your objective is to get green pants. And uh, I was trying to get green pants. And uh, 
My first sponsor, he was able to do what he was supposed to, and he got green pants. So he went on up the road. And, uh, you know, I had some stuff happening in Virginia, and they wouldn't ever let me get out of felony camp. So I never got my honor grade, so I had to stay there. But then I went to another guy, and um, I said, look, man, you know, Tim got his honor grade. You know, will you take me on as a sponsor? And he's like, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this man walked me through the steps. He showed me how to live life successfully while I was in prison. And for a lot of people, that sounds ridiculous. How do you know how to live life when you don't have one? You know, I got people telling me when to take a shower, when to wash my clothes, when to eat, when to do this, when to do that. You know, I'm completely organized. You know, people's telling me everything to do. So how can somebody teach me how to live life successfully? But that's exactly what he did. He taught me how to be a friend. He taught me how to be a son. He taught me how to be a brother, you know, while I was incarcerated. And um, I was able to take all the principles of the 12 steps. And when I got out, I was just able to apply them to life the exact same way on the street as I did while I was in prison. Uh, granted, there's uh, a few more worldly clamors uh, out here than it is in prison. Um <laughs> But but it's basically, you know, it was just, I've been fortunate, the guys I got sober around, you know. So I guess that's kind of what brought me to uh, AA. Uh, I might have went a little more in depth. But, uh, you know, it was, that's what brought me here and yeah. what kept me. So, Well, that's pretty powerful. We, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, we're glad you got sober, for sure. Um, Shank, what's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, what's our topic, Shank? Our topic today is the pamphlet. Um, it is called Behind the Walls. Now, it was retitled in February, February 2022. This pamphlet used to be called Memo to an Inmate Who May Be an Alcoholic. So, they like um, retitling stuff. Yeah, I think inmate is offensive. Oh, Lord, we don't want to offend a criminal. Does it... <laughs> That's what I've heard. Um, is that what it is? Well, I went through and read both of them, actually, just to make sure nothing else had changed. It had not. It was only the title that changed. Um And that's all I could come up yeah. with. Okay. A little blurb that said that the word inmate... Um, is inappropriate. Right. So well, they used to call us convicts, and then they correct. changed that because that was inappropriate. Well, my sponsor that... still calls me a convict. You know? <laughs> I, <love laughs> so, I mean, oh yeah, I'm not gonna all, argue with her. We're on with two ex-convicts. If that That's offends right. you, I mean, he says we're ex-convicts. You know what I'm saying? I mean, disconnect. <laughs> listen, listen. So, uh, I have a little excerpt from this. Uh, pamphlet and it is from page two and I said we had tried so hard to prove that we could drink normally but we had always had the same result we got drunk we kept thinking it would be different but it never was and things weren't getting any better they were getting worse we decided to take a look at our drinking so today's topic 
as basically um, behind the walls, I suppose, we have Dwight on, who has great direct experience with that. Um, as do you. Yeah. <laughs> I have some experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As do you. So I'm curious. Here's a question for both of you. Okay. How do you stay in sober? How do you stay sober in prison without going to a meeting every night? Because you hear out here all the time that you got to go to a meeting every night. Meeting makers make it. 90 meetings in 90 days. And um, I know that um, you can't. You can't do that in a in a in a correctional facility. So how how in the world do you stay sober without going to meeting every night? Loaded so, question. It is a loaded question. Uh, so I think like when you walk into the meeting and you see those little uh, signs, you know, uh, think 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 meeting makers make it and. You know, the other three or four they got, uh, the only one that's valid is but the grace of God. Um, so. I think I've we scrapped that rec- one, didn't we, Shane? <laughs> no, go ahead, Dwight. I'll, I'm, I'll get you. Uh, then the reason I say that is because that is in the big book. So, but listen, the 90 meetings in 90 days. So, so in prison, you know, the majority of prisons you have maybe one meeting. If you're lucky, you'll have two meetings. Um, so I don't agree with the 90 meetings in the 90 days. I don't think that's something you have to do to stay sober. I'm living proof that that's not something you have to do to stay sober. Um, and I think the saying meeting makers make it is crap. Because um, I've had a friend that was involved in AA for four years. It's as hard as you could be. And he died of this illness in his cups. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think it's sponsorship. I think it's step work. And, and I think that's the way that we stay sober inside a prison when you can't get to a meeting every day. It's the same way you stay sober out here because uh, most people can't get to a meeting every day. So tell us a little bit, Shank, you want to say anything on that or? Well, for those of, uh, those of you all listening that don't know, um, even if there are two meetings a week at a prison, um, you may not be able to go to both of them. So you probably have a job and you're either working like during the daytime or in the evening. One of the meetings will probably be during the day. One will probably be in the evening. Um, so I know the facility that I carry a meeting into, it is a special request to be able to go to the AA meeting, you know, and it's not always, um, depending on your history of conduct, it's not always something that you can do. Right. So, uh, so yes, there may be more than one meeting. You may not be able to go to either of them. You know, there were times when I was incarcerated that for whatever reason, the guard at my job uh, in my dorm, wherever I was stuck during count, just wouldn't let me leave. And they're like, we don't care about the AA meeting. Like we're, we're in count time right now. Shut up and go away. So, um, you know, it is not a privilege that is always afforded to you. And 
on that end, I'll say too, like the primary focus of a prison is not that Susie gets to go to an AA meeting. I broke the law to get there. And although like, I do think it's important that I was able to go to meetings the majority of the time, I had to deal with the consequences of what I did to get there. So what Alcoholics Anonymous taught me was that AA is a book and it is a way of life. And provided that I had a book, you know, I could work the steps and draw closer to God. Yeah. So I think we all would agree that the program of action is the steps. So talk a little bit about how you, you work the steps being incarcerated and not having access to, to, well, I guess you have access to the book, but you don't have access to a lot of stuff that people on the outside do. How, how you work steps inside. Is that different than working them out here? Dwight? No, no. So when I got done in North Carolina, I owed the great state of Virginia some time <laughs> and they extradited me up there and I walked into this, uh, they have regional jails. They don't do like we do in North Carolina. And I walk into this pod that had 93 people in it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I get there. Now they wouldn't let me have anything from the prison, nothing, my books, nothing. So I didn't have anything, uh, no meetings, no other people in AA, no books, nobody that I knew. Uh, so first thing I did was got GSO's address, wrote a letter to GSO, told them my situation. About four days, five days after they received it, I received a packet in the mail, and I had a big book of 12 and 12 in the Daily Reflections. And I commenced to... And at the time, I was pretty much on fire for AA, too, man. So, you know, it was, I was just, I was on fire. Um, So I was trying to save all 93 people in that pod. So I would talk, you know what I'm saying? And I would talk to them. And and, and that's what kept me focused on the steps was just trying to carry the message to whoever I could that would listen. And um, I actually had to get another big book sent to me because one of the guys that I was sitting there trying to help, he had my, he had the book, and he made bond. <laughs> my man kept the book. Took your book. Oh man, he kept well, the it does book. say lend so him your copy. Of it does lend him the, yeah, your copy so, of this book. Well, you bring yeah. up a good point, Dwight, because. You know, I know a lot of times I've been involved with corrections for a long time now. And so many times people um, who, let's say, are uh, much more classically educated than I am, who have not been incarcerated, think that we need all these extra materials to send to the jails and to the prisons. And they need a specific sheet that they can just check the boxes and we send it to GSO for them or we send them the literature. You know, when I go into a facility, I say, hey, the address is in the back of the book. You have a book. There is a book in the library. If you don't, I'll give it to you right now. Here is the address. You write them. They will send you a a material. They'll send you a book. They'll send you daily reflections. They'll send you inmate to inmate. Sometimes they'll send you a grapevine subscription. It's just not necessary to have all this extra crap that we think is helpful when in reality it's not it makes it seem like you have to fill out this one form can you bring in the forms that that one person brought in 
Can you bring in the forms? We need a material. We need the forms. That's right. And then they always forget to bring forms. Correct. So, and it's yeah, not even necessary. Right. Like you can right. write on you state paper and say AA material, buy, and they will send it to you if it has your Opus mm -hmm. number on there. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. I like I like the fact that your your willingness and and kind of desire to stay sober is what helped you get the, the material. You you didn't wait for somebody else to get it for you. No, no, you I didn't was, rely on the facility or the administration or even a volunteer to do it. You, you, you took the a resourceful inmate can get anything. Absolutely, including <laughs> I mean, that's, so, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> so. Well, and that's the thing. It just took some people in a facility explaining to you what AA is, what it is not, and then you were able to take that to a jail in Virginia, and then those yes. people knew what they can do, and that yeah. is what AA has been taught to me what it is. I need to go and physically help someone, tell them what AA is. It doesn't have to be sponsoring them. It can just be telling the, them the address to get materials. Yeah. Yeah. I hear, it's, uh, I hear a lot. I hear a lot that, um, so back to step work. Mm -hmm. were, were you able to actually work all the steps while you were incarcerated? And Because you hear a lot of times that, you know, it's different in there or you, I've even had inmates tell me I can't do a fourth and a fifth step in here because they're going to come get me and talk a little bit about that. Um, so like I said, I was fortunate to be on the camp that I was on. The camp that I was on is like any other camp when it comes to any kind of recovery. It was the most recovery friendly camp ever. Um, so we actually could go to the dark area from after 5.30 count cleared from 5.30 to 9.30 and mm. do step work. And it was unreal. Wow. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. Uh, what, what the camp might have been 6 o'clock. But, you know, we had a meeting up there. Um, you know, we could go up there. We actually had a tradition study. Um, so I was able to meet with my sponsor one hour a week in a closed room just like we do on the street. And he would read his, the book to me and we would stop and he would explain to me what it actually meant versus what I thought it meant. Right. And you know what I'm saying? That's you, didn't need a plain, you didn't need a plain language book for that? The sponsor no, helped you? No, I didn't. Yeah, sponsor did. Sponsor, <laughs> not, a, not, not something I was easily to interpret. Uh, yeah. So we would go through the steps and immediately, um, what he did is we had a treatment program there too. So after I was on my fourth step, he had me sponsoring guys. Yes. And I was like, I ain't, I was like, man, I ain't done with the steps. He's like, you can take them where you've been. You can't take them past that. Mm -hmm. So I sponsored a lot. I know a lot about steps one, two, and three. <laughs> Except about how long it took them to get through treatment. And, uh, but that's what we did. And, you know, we, do our fourth and fifth step and and we'd go to the sergeant. We had a lieutenant that ran that camp that was so behind. I don't know if he had family in recovery or what he did, but he was extremely in favor of anything to help anybody recover. So we had a room where we could actually do a fifth step and they would actually count us in that room if it took that long. 
Uh, so my experience with doing step work in prison was probably a little different than most people's in some of the other camps that I've been on. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's just like out here. Uh, and, it, and even when we couldn't meet in the room, you know, we would get together and, you know, sit on a yard and bust out the book on a bench and sit there and do step work, you know, while we was out on the yard. Uh, you know, does, you know, some people get a, you know, like I said, you're in prison, you know, you don't want to appear soft or anything like that. But when your life's on the line, man, you don't really care. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just what you're, you know, that was one of the links I was willing to go to. You yeah. Know? So if it was me and another guy reading a book, that's what we did. Yeah. Now, Shank, your your facility wasn't quite as friendly as his to uh, it was rehabilitation. Not. I, I also was in the DART program, which I never knew until you just said it, what that stood for. So thank you. I think you said drug, alcohol, rehabilitative recovery. treatment. No, recovery, recovery treatment. treatment. Recovery. Okay, yep. see, I still didn't remember. Um, Never knew that. <laughs> I That's did the DART like- program. Um, well, hold on, hold on, Shank. I, I know what you're going to say second. here. Dwight, listen to this. <laughs> here we go. You've heard the statement. If you hang out in the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, up until last week, Shank had heard it a lot, but she didn't know what it meant. She actually thought people were like getting haircuts in barbershops. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant in terms of. Did you tell that publicly? I did. Yeah, on the podcast. Oh my gosh, it was awesome! Wow, I wasn't going to pretend like she, I knew this whole time. She had a spiritual experience when me and Kim explained to her what it actually meant. I really yeah, did. I that's that's great, and I can't believe that you actually went through the dark program and didn't know what it meant. Anyway, yeah, no idea. So thank you for Go letting ahead, me that Shank, now. Sorry. Um. <laughs> You know, I'm just a humble queen. I'll let you know when I don't know things. Uh, so I went through the DART program and I always found it like a little weird that they didn't require us to go to the AA meetings, um, mm-hmm. but that was fine. I did go to the AA meetings and I didn't get, I didn't find DART that helpful, but I had already been to a 30 day treatment center prior to going to prison. So Like you said earlier, I was just like on this crusade of trying to get everyone sober in AA. And so everyone in the DART program, I'm like, everyone needs to get sober. Everyone needs to come to the AA meeting. I'll take you through the steps. Forget this freaking workbook. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, because I didn't need any of that to get sober. So no, my camp wasn't as friendly. It was a maximum security. I I was in Browns the whole time. I may have gotten some greens like to be released, but uh, we had dresses. We didn't have pants. So I had my brown dress and, um, you know, it just, AA was not that important to, I don't, I just think that the prison staff didn't understand and a lot of them probably shouldn't have understood You know, like um, day in and day out, they see a lot of really horrible people who have bad attitudes. Uh, They have bad attitudes. So I never had the expectation that I should be able to go to an AA meeting. But the women that brought the meetings in um, helped me a lot in learning what it looked like to make a commitment to their sobriety. And that meant like 
you know, there were two women who were pregnant up until they had their babies. They were coming into the maximum security prison. Like, I just didn't understand it. Uh, and when I was able to go to a medium security facility, that's where I met your wife. And I just like never understood these women that seemed like they had their lives together. I just kind of thought like, well, yeah, it's going to be the bottom of the barrel people that want to bring an AA meeting into a prison. You know, it's going to be the people that have nothing else to do. They don't have a life. They'll be like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll go to this prison. Um, And that just was never the case. Like it was just normal everyday people that looked like they um, had their life together. And they always made sure to let me know, to let everyone in the meeting know that we had access to the big book. We had access to a power. It could be of our own conception. Uh, we could work all of the steps. We could make amends. We could have freedom, even though we were incarcerated. Like that was the message that I always heard, but it was difficult, you know, like I almost, I almost got beat up a few times. Some of some, some I asked for, uh, yeah, like taking the cutting the CPAP machine off. Yeah, I, I never cleaned that up last last season, but some I asked for and some, you know, it was just like, God, here's this girl with this blue book. She's kneeling down and being loud at 4 a.m. praying and, you know, always like trying to force everyone into working the steps, which was true. Um, Like maybe to a lot of people's surprise, not everyone who is incarcerated has a fifth grade education or is a drug addict or alcoholic, you know, there are, there are people that have college degrees that are incarcerated. There are people, um, you know, that are not drug addicts or alcoholics. I was surprised, but well, it, prison it, is it, just like society. It's made up of everybody. It is. Yeah. yeah it's not just, yeah. So were y'all able to actually make some amends while you were incarcerated? Yes. Yep. I was. So I got to make um, a couple during visitation. Yep. So, because that's, uh, you know, some of them, you know, was uh, asked, you know, if this is what I should do. And, you know, he said, the book says the first opportunity we get, we do it. And yeah. uh, my first opportunity to do one was in visitation and opportunity to come again to do even another. Uh, you know, there were some that I didn't want to do and that did get pushed out. But, uh, yeah, I was able to do some, uh, was able to actually get a money order and send a grocery store chain, um, some money orders for some, <laughs> uh, nice, real money, nice wine. Yeah. That, That's awesome. Uh, you know, I got to steal and, uh, you know. So the direction you got was not, Hey, you're locked up. You don't, don't do any amends. Wait till you get out. It was, Hey, we're going to be prayerful about it. And we're going to, when the opportunity arises, you're going to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't, um, so like my, that's why I say, you know, like my sobriety was never approached to me as someone that was incarcerated. It was, Someone that was in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you know, Susan just made a statement about praying at four o'clock in the morning, and just a real quick, you know, little snippet of what we do when we don't even realize we're doing it. 
So I was in a dorm of like, I don't know, I think it was like 40 dudes in there. Last thing I want to do is all these guys see me praying, you know what I mean? So I'd get my book out and like sit on the bed and pray. And my sponsor's like, are you getting on your knees? I'm like, absolutely not. He's like, why not? <laughs> I was like, come on, man. And he's like, nah, man. He's like, get on your knees. So as a result of me listening to my sponsor, had this little Hispanic dude that was my bunk mate beside me. And he got to see me. He seen me get up and pray every morning. And he seen me tote that little blue book around. Because I, too, was like Shank over here. You know, I was trying to save the whole compound and give him AA. I had one dude ask me, he's like, man, can we not have a conversation? You not talk about AA? I was like, why would I not? <laughs> it's something that had saved my life, man. You know what yeah. I mean? And uh, so that little Spanish dude come up to me. And uh, he called me uh, Chapero, which I probably butchered that. But what it means is bald head in Spanish. <laughs> and uh so he was like that book he's like is that for alcoholics i was like yeah he's like so when you pray in the morning because i was praying the third step prayer and i didn't know it so i'd read it out of the big book he said is that you know praying do that and i was like yeah so as a result of that he asked me to get him a big book so i got him one in spanish and he taught my sponsor spanish uh, he took him through the big book and in turn, just me being obedient to what my sponsor told me, like the Spanish group got started at that camp. How about that? And so, and, and it's just, it, so that's the principle that he told me is just, we're going to do what the book says. When it says pray, we're going to pray. When it says write, we're going to write. When it says make amends, we're going to make amends. Uh, you know, whether that was Practicing a tenth step in prison. You know, that's hard. When you're in prison and you gotta go up to a guy and go, hey man, you know, that that what I was saying yesterday wasn't really the whole truth. I kind of exaggerated that tale to sound cool. You know what I mean? And it's like, dang, it sucks. And you know, luckily there's a lot of guys that's still in recovery too, so they understood it. Uh, but just doing those things was was powerful. Mm-hmm. How about the traditions? Do uh, the 12 traditions apply in prison? Absolutely. Yeah? Without a doubt. So we don't have to ditch those because we're you're locked up, or even a group can probably practice most of them. So we practiced all of them. We was even self-sufficient. Uh, we went to the camp and this was I was there right in the transition when they took cash off of the compounds so when they did that they had them and helped through the sponsor you know the outside sponsor that came every week and all that and the staff that was there that was willing you know we just went to them and was like we need an account so we can make a donation all you have to do is go to the canteen window say I want to put a dollar in the AA, and it'd be right there on the canteen screen, and he, he, he'd scan his little barcode and he'd put a dollar in the AA account, 25 cents or whatever it was, and that's what we used to buy the coffee with. Hmm. Yeah. 
I will say too, like the outside volunteers are super important. And one thing that I have struggled so much with is um, kind of in our area, uh, especially with the women's facilities, it's just like an all out call for whoever wants to be a volunteer to go into the facilities, come and get a blue card and then just come whenever you want and don't go whenever you don't want, maybe never go. But you can tell everyone you got a blue card. And what what I was shown through the women that showed up to every facility that I was incarcerated with is it was the same five or six women. And if they weren't going to be there, you know, one week, one of the pregnant women was like, you know, I may have my baby, so I may not be here next week. And I've asked her because I, she's still sober. I still see her in meetings routinely. And I, I've asked her several times, I'm like, I think you were gone for like two weeks and then you were back. Like, that's how I remember yeah. it. And she's like, I don't know, Susie, maybe it was a month, but still like, you know, like, and she was back and, and she had made that commitment. And it was really important to me to see the same people show up and share a message of hope. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's just not been my experience as a volunteer going in. Uh, you know, there are several things that I think could happen. So if you are someone that wants to be a volunteer that goes into prisoner jail facil- facilities, please be willing to make it a commitment. Because when it's not, it's just flailing around and AA looks um, like they can't. It, AA as a whole looks like we don't make a commitment. And things can't happen to make the the meetings better Um, because the meetings at the facility where I even take meetings in now, you know, it's just kind of um, not what it could be. Yeah. But that was one of the things that we was like the guy that brought the meet to us. He drove 50 minutes one way every Wednesday. Thunderstorms, the yard would flood. They'd cancel the meeting. He'd have to turn around and leave. Next Wednesday, it's snowing or whatever. He's there. You know what I mean? Like he was there regardless. And then when I got out and I got I, I was able to go volunteer in the same prison I got sober at. That was one of the things that he told me. He says, Look, man, he says, just do what you say you're gonna do with these guys. And you know, if you're gonna be here, be here. And if you're not gonna be here, don't be here. But he said, don't tell these guys you're going to be here and not show up. And and I think nowadays it's just, I don't know, man. It just seems like a lot's changed in the last 10 years with that. Well, and I've heard routinely, it, listen, I, I'll get off of this soapbox, but I've heard routinely that it's, you know, well, the men get to do this and get to do that. And like the men, the men, the men. And. Uh, reality is that there are not a lot of women that get out of prison and stay sober without having to go back to prison or commit more crimes or not finish probation, parole. Um, and I personally believe part of that is because like, as women, we're not holding up our end of the deal and sharing this message and helping alcoholics transition back into, um, the real world, not meaning like getting them a house and getting them money or any of that, just like helping them integrate into the AA community. Yeah, that's right. So I'll get get off of that. Yeah, I would agree. If you're, uh, 
if you if you're interested in helping or trying to take a meeting into a facility, it's awful important to do it because you want to help somebody and do it because you've got the time and you can make the commitment. And, you know, the, one of the things that cracks me up is sometimes somebody new will come in or will bring someone in to speak that's never been in. And they, they, they think they've like got to go down to the inmates level. <laughs> yes. And the next thing you know, they start cussing a lot. Mm-hmm. They start telling these stories that you've never heard before. Mm-hmm. And, they'll start like embellishing things or exaggerating their story because they think they got to be hip, slick and cool. And, you know, what we're supposed to do is just carry a message, carry a message of hope. And we should be talking in there just like we talk at our home group. We should be, we should be studying simple literature, the big book and the steps. And we don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to take anything away from it. We just try to keep things simple and, well, and there were so many things that I didn't understand in the big book. I didn't know what frothy emotional appeal meant until like four years ago. Okay. And I had been out of prison for at least four or five years at that point. You know, like yeah. I just That's the didn't. the best sentence in the big book. I love I it. I didn't have any use for it. I didn't understand it. It wasn't until, I don't know, someone shared in a way that I was like, oh, that's what that means. You know, yeah, that just, was one of those sentences where I stopped my sponsor and I was like, most frothy emotional appeal. And we, we sit there and he went over it, went over it, went over it. And best way he explained it to me, I was like, oh, yeah, had a lot of I that. love it. Yeah. But that's <laughs> the thing. Like, just because I was incarcerated doesn't mean that I understood or didn't understand or couldn't get sober. Yeah. There was an the there was an old guy. He was not an old timer and still is not yet, who told me that my time in prison didn't count because there weren't drugs and alcohol (laughs) because his sponsor who had been on a chain gang said in the sixties or something while he was on the chain gang, that there weren't any drugs or alcohol. And I argued with this man and had a resentment against him until I realized he's just dumb and doesn't know. That's right. That's right. right. Look, That's funny that you say that because that's literally what I was thinking about is is a lot of people talk about because I had two and a half years of solid sobriety. You know what I mean? And then when I tell people, they're like, you know, oh, oh, that was in prison. Absolutely. Oh, man. And and they don't realize just what we do have access to Mm -hmm. while you're in there. I mean, Dude's like three bunks down from where I was at. Got bus making hooch. Yeah. You know, then you got the weed guy in the other dorm. And then you got all the guys that's on all this medication that don't never take it and they stockpile it and they sell it to whoever. And you can get a tattoo. You got one. (laughs) Straight. Straight like that. Yeah. Yeah. But but that's what I'm saying. So I, I think people people have a misconception of getting sober in prison versus getting sober on the street. And for whatever reason, they think it's easier to get sober in prison. And I think that their conception is not drinking. Right. If that's all it was, then absolutely. It's a whole lot easier not to drink because I can't go to the ABC store when Mm -hmm. I'm incarcerated. You know what I mean? But that's not what it is. Being sober is practicing those principles and everything that I do. It ain't just drinking. It's not being the person I was. 
And especially the person that I was, it's hard not to be that guy in prison. It's hard to practice those principles in prison because I live a, a facade of, of this certain type of guy for so many years. And, you know, now I got to practice principles and be the total opposite of what I am and what I know. And, and that's extremely hard. At least out here, I know I can go get with a group of drunks that's trying to do the same thing that I'm doing. Susie attested this. The majority of the people in prison don't care that they're in prison. They want to get out so they can keep doing the same stuff that they did. That and come back. Yep. And come back. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's, it's just a big misconception, man. Well, that uh, I don't think we need to add anything else to that. Shank, you want to move on to meeting shrapnel? I do. But the last oh, thing that I want to say is um uh there are a few things but i uh i was definitely um on the in the same mentality of like hey i had a public defender um i was like just i want to take care of this like i just i don't want to drag it out i don't care about what judge i see i'm not trying to like manipulate the system i don't have money for that i don't have money i don't have time like I know what I did is wrong. I've, I've gotten sober. I want to face the music and do whatever I need to do and clean up my side of the street. So when you said that, like it reminded me of that where, you know, if you are someone that had 25 felonies and you didn't end up having to go to prison, what separates you from me is money. It's not God. It's not that you're blessed. It's not for the grace of God. There go I. It you is cash. It money and if that is not the case please feel free to send us an email and we'll have you on this podcast to talk about it but i'd be willing to bet what separates the two of us the three of us was money um and there's nothing wrong with that i just wish people would be like oh yeah my parents or my bank account or whatever paid a lot of cash to get me out of this I, I that that's a true statement. Like like all that was, I was on probation. You see what I'm saying? I was on probation on my fourth felony. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I got probation for a gun charge. Mm -hmm. um, so you see what I mean? So that money had run out. You know, my dad had passed away. So that 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 checkbook was gone. Yep. So yep. You know what I mean? That, that's that's absolutely. Hey, there's no doubt. I avoided going to prison because of money and and a parent. And, there's yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. And there is nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I think it comes from this place of feeling like, like, I don't know, you have to have an excuse or a reason or like I was working the steps and there for the grace of God, yeah. I, the felonies yeah. disappeared. And it just doesn't have to be like that. You know, like you can still yeah. get sober. You can still. Okay, fine. Also, I think what all three of us have done a good job of describing in this podcast is we don't need anything extra or to take anything away from Alcoholics Anonymous for people to be able to get sober. It doesn't matter that Dwight and I were incarcerated and that you weren't, you know, like it doesn't matter uh, that maybe Dwight had access to a dictionary and I did not for a long time, or I didn't have a book for two or three months. I tried to write down all of the steps the best I could or how it works 
Um, I knew that I needed to pray and have a relationship with a higher power. So that's what I tried to do until I could get a book. Yes. You know, like, yeah, that's it. like even, even going back to what we started off with about how do you stay sober in prison without going to the 90 meetings in the 90 days stuff. That that's what it says. Everybody I've seen relapse, whether they go to 9,000 meetings a week or they go to their committed home group. The reason they relapse is they fail to enrich their spiritual life. And that's it. Uh, so it ain't the meetings and all the extra stuff to people add to it that makes it sound good. It's, it's what you just said, Shank, is that that, it's that relationship with God over how you get to it. Yes. Well, and we are not the exception. We are the rule. A lot of times I think people look at me and they're like, well, but you don't look like you've been to prison and blah, blah. And like, oh, well, that was just you. And and that's not true. I mean, I don't know a lot of women that got sober and haven't had to go back to prison without relapsing. No, I don't. But I'm not the exception to the rule as far as That's people right. who get sober and are able to stay sober. Like, we are the rule here. That's right. Yeah, I like it when Shank gets fired up like this. So, she is, man. She's feisty. But it's it's such a good point, though. And, you know, to stay sober and to get and stay sober and to live a spiritual life, we don't need more. It's actually the opposite. You need less. Yes. Simple principles and simple actions, not a bunch <laughs> of other stuff. Oh, so, me, my sponsor tells me all the time, man, just go back to the basics, Dwight. Go back to yeah. the basics. Yeah. Well, you that's know what? Right. If you never, if you never to... leave the basics, you don't have to go back to them. Go back to them. <laughs> oh. no. No. There's you some gotta be... for you. Mm -hmm. oh. Yes, sir. Jay Wayne. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Shank, you, uh, you good to move on to Meeting Shrapnel? Yeah, let's go to Meeting Shrapnel. I could go on forever, but those were the main right. points. Excellent point, points. Shank. Good points. All right. What's our first Shrapnel? All right, Dwight. Buckle up, yes. Dwight. I'm, I'm our, ready. Y'all ready? Our first Meeting Shrapnel is Jails, Institutions, and Death. What do you think? <laughs> and what do you mean, what do I think? What do you think? <laughs> what do you think about that one? So when you say meeting strapman, what's this? Is just stuff that people say in meetings that... Yeah, do you, want, do you want people to keep saying it? Do you say it? Do you like it? Do I say it? No, I do not say it. Anybody ever, you ever heard anybody say it? I've heard a lot of people say it. Um, do I think it's a true statement? Kind of depends on the alcoholic. Uh, an alcoholic of my variety, that's a true statement. Uh, an alcoholic of uh, my wife's caliber, that's not a true statement. So, you know, is, is it a rule of thumb all the way across that no matter how we drink or what we do, we're either going to end up in a jail or institution or we're going to die? I don't think that's so. Because uh, I've seen so too many people come to a moment of clarity and, and not have to go to one of those places. So, 
Now, do I think if Dwight goes back and picks up another drink, absolutely, I'm ending up in probably one of the three before the week's out. Yeah. So we could add Shank would probably do the same thing. We could pro- we could we could add the news channel or newspaper on there too for Shank. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I I don't know this one. I, I think it's straight from the NA book, but it probably is. I, I think it implies somewhere in the big book about it does. It implies it something about dying or institutions or something like that, but. Jails, institutions, and death, I think, straight from N.A., but you hear it all the time in meetings. Um, I think it's dumb, personally. But... Well, I know plenty of people. Um, like if, I wanted, if I wanted to be really uppity, like I hear some people, here I am again, just being... Go for it. But, um, it. you know, some people will be like, well, I mean, thank God I never had to go to prison or jail. That would have just been the worst thing. And, oh, my God, I almost had to. But I had to get sober because that would have been the worst thing. And, you know, I'm just sitting there like, great. Um, but That's a the lot of person those, I go talk to after the meeting. Right. Well, <laughs> like, those people have been in many mental wards. And so sometimes in a meeting, sometimes I've done it. But I want to be like, well, I've never been to a mental institution. Ew, that would like, oh, I can't imagine how horrible that would be for my reputation. Like, I just want to be a smart aleck about it. Um, But I know plenty of people who have never been to a jail or an institution and they are still alive. And yet they continue to like relapse over and over and over, you know, and it's like the bitter end seems like it is continuing that process over and over again yeah i think that's another good point is that it it doesn't stop anybody from drinking as a matter of fact no, as don't. you were talking this is this is full-on frothy emotional appeal right emotional here. appeal absolutely absolutely I mean, yeah it's out of here. Trying to so if we look at it from so if we look at it from that point and that it's not in the book so therefore, you know, it, as a saying, no. Uh, is it valid that if a lot of us continue to drink, that that's where we're going to end up? Man, my experience shows me that I, I am. Yeah, it won't stop you. Though. No, it absolutely will not stop me. It don't matter. Dude, I made bomb and promised myself I was incarcerated. I was in that institution in jail and like nope not drinking again and before I made the first corner got to the first store I was already drinking <laughs> so no it <laughs> will not stop you from drinking Jerry. alright you want to keep it or scrap it I'd say scrap that in a meat alright but you think I'm, Jay Wayne I'm scrapping it how about you Shane it's out of here right. it's out of here love it what's the next one all right, so the next one, meeting shrapnel number two. Let us love you until you can love yourself. Oh. <laughs> what do you think, D. White? Oh. I've never liked that. Did they tell uh-huh. you this one when you got to prison the first day? It's like, come on here, D. White, let me love you. <laughs> 
That is no, not. They did not. No, they did not. They did not. I was not that approachable. Uh, no, but that is something you hear in the meeting a lot. And I've just never seen how it applied. I've never seen how that applied. Uh, I've seen how people have showed me how love worked and how to love. But I've never seen how let us love you until you can love yourself. Uh, nope. Mm-mm. That's I, like, I cult, like cult, 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 cult. Yeah. That's what keep what? coming back. Yeah. <laughs> so... I yeah, I'm like, I don't have a lot to say. I don't even know. I can't. It's just, well, that's not, no. Well, what does well, that mean? mean? Like, to a lot right. of people, I think love means give me money, get me out of trouble. I don't know. Tell me I'm pretty. Give me a hug. Hold my hand. Like, I don't, and I'm not into that. No. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I guess that it people come in here, or we all come in here defeated and we, you know, we're full of well, we're guilt and remorse. And, yeah. Yeah. And maybe they think it encourages somebody to. to well, it sounds good. It does. That's sound what it good, does. It sounds good. It mm-hmm. sounds good. And, and, it, and then it's all that warm, touchy, feely, ooh, pink yes, cloud. Do I? Yes, baby. And, I love it. And because <laughs> it ain't pink cloud and rainbows. This is the oh. hardest thing that we ever do. And I've never, I've never liked that. I've always thought that's a cop out. Let yes, us love it, you until you love yourself. When's that going to be? Yeah, I've been sober eighteen, <laughs> almost eighteen years, bro. And it comes some points that some days I don't love myself today. You know what I mean? So did did AA fail? Because you were supposed to love me until I love myself, Shane. <laughs> Do what? Listen, God, I hope you weren't you. waiting on me because. We that's what I'm lots, saying. Lots and lots and lots and whole bunches. So, I don't know. It's just not. That, that's yeah. probably been one of my least favorite sayings that I've ever heard. That and some other stuff that I had on this list well, that I'll, I would love. I'll tell you, that. I think that people, um, especially in this day and age, this is my opinion, not AA's opinion. I think that they value this fluffy BS over honesty. And as someone who has has had to work on, like, not being so curt and not being so um, unemotionally direct, you know, like, I personally value honesty more. Like, I don't want you to tell me, like, oh, my gosh, I love you and you look so great today and you're so wonderful and your share was amazing. Oh, my God, thank you for that share. No. You know, I would much rather someone say just be honest with me um about what's going on what they see yeah yeah it's gonna be hard it's gonna be tough and it's gonna be rough and you're gonna be mad and you're gonna cry you're gonna want to quit that that's that they uh i I can't stand that fruit fruit crap so you want to keep it dwight absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) uh you're gonna keep it or scrap it scrap it dude scrap it all right, I'm going to scrap it. Shane? It's out of here. All right. All Gone. right. Stop saying it. Meeting shrapnel number three. 
I got here with a nudge from the judge. <laughs> so I think a lot of this stuff is what you hear in treatment meetings and the other fellowship. Uh, Cause that's where I've heard the the first one uh, was in the other fellowship, and then I got here with a nudge from a judge. Oh man! What that is is somebody ain't got nothing else better to say, so they want to try to sound cool. That's all that mm-hmm. is, man. A nudge. It rhymes too, so they spitting bars. <laughs> spitting bars. Oh, yep, the old slogan slinger. Yes, right. sir. Make him think he sound knows what he's talking about. So, the, yeah, this one came good. this was a submission from one of our uh, listeners got to a different meeting so, <laughs> <laughs> oh you heard it here alright scrap it I, yeah I, I think we uh, you want Dwight you want to keep it no there's not, uh, done done I'm glad I've never scrap. actually heard it in a meeting I've never heard it in the meeting. But you yeah. know what happens? Sometimes I've, we will we'll have shrapnel on here that I've never heard in a meeting. And then a week later, someone says it. And I'm like, what the heck? Maybe I have heard it. And I just didn't ever remember it. We had been probably con- us. Mm-hmm. No, I think there's something higher at work here. Because I think we conjure it up. <laughs> we would we would literally, oh, we would literally no. talk about it. And then the next week you'll hear somebody say it. We 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 covered um, your first thought is always wrong. That's right. A few oh, weeks ago, no. and I was at a meeting last Sunday, and the person speaking they started their talk with that. You just want to let y'all know my first thought is always wrong. I was so like, well, what kind I of meetings laughing. do y'all go to? <laughs> That's terrible. We live in a larger town than you, Dwight. So like meetings abound, and they are bad. But see, that's the thing. The majority of the crap that needs to be scrapped in Alcoholics Anonymous ain't Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. It's all this frou-frou crap that people hear while they're in treatment, mm-hmm. which treatment ain't nothing. You know what we, I mean? I yeah. mean, I used to do a, a state board-approved lecture on what treatment is. Treatment was designed to do three things. It was designed to help you face your problem. It was designed to help you talk about it and learn about your illness. Mm-hmm. And the third thing to do was it was designed to tell you where to get help. It was never designed to be help. There's only one place for an alcoholic like me to get help. And that's through the 12 steps of alcoholics and all. Yeah. And yeah. you see, and all this stuff comes through that love you till you love yourself crap. Guarantee you that come from a treatment. You know, nudge from a judge. Somebody got locked up, thought it sounded cool, yeah. and it stuck in a meeting. And it yeah. was said in treatment. Yep. Yeah. So, well we're gonna we're gonna scrap I'm scrapping nudge from the judge. You already scrapped absolutely. it. Shank. It's out of here. It's out of here. Dwight, you, so have y'all you, ever kept one? You, oh, yeah, We've kept a few. A few, like three okay. over two seasons. 
We're notorious <laughs> for, for scrapping them. We scrap it all. So y'all find stuff to scrap. I get it. No. <laughs> no. We have a list and and listeners will submit stuff they hear at meetings and we hear stuff in meetings and if you got any you want to submit, send them to us. We'll cover them. Yep. Now y'all done covered the ones I believe that bother me the most. Yeah. So yeah. Well, Dwight, we appreciate you coming on. You you're uh you're speaking our language. One of the reasons we started the podcast was just to get to, to get back the simple AA message of taking the steps and helping other people. Well, I think that's what God, I, so uh Well, I really thank y'all for getting me on here, man. It's been real fun. And it's always uh it's always fun and, and nice when you have other alcoholics that are like minded and yep. and know that we don't have to add nothing to this nor take anything away from it. All we have to do, I mean and it says this word for word in our book is follow a few simple rules. And don't yep. say do a bunch of suggestions. It says follow a few simple rules. And yep. uh I personally right. complicate that all the time. So yeah, you know. All right. Well, keep it simple. If you're out there listening and you're uh, you're incarcerated between between cement or behind cement and uh, steel, or if you're just in your self constructed prison, the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous can help you to be free. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help. You can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.